0: Thank you. Can we pray? Father, thank you for your word. I pray as we hear it, the public proclamation of the word that even our hearts are changed now. So as we dive into the weirdness of some of the things that we believe, God, I pray that you open our hearts and that you come and meet us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. Yeah, so the other night, uh, Darian and I were just getting ready for bed. And we began, as you do when you're around me, just start t- uh, discussing some random theological stuff. I don't even remember what it was. But it was the conversation was around how that concept can be perceived by those that don't believe the same things that we believe. Now, as somebody that was raised outside of the church... I remember distinctly coming into the church and God saving me through some friends that shared their faith. And I remember hearing certain things that came from the Bible and thinking, man, that's just weird. Like, if you think about it, some of the things from the world's perspective That you don't have any of the Bible. You don't have any narrative of scripture. You don't have any supernatural understanding. You have a modern, scientific, post-enlightenment frame of view. And you hear things and you're like, that's just weird. Like, body and blood in bread and wine. Like, just think about that for a second. Like, kind of... Not normal. Now, today's topic is one of those that would be considered as weird. Um, This is a topic that's not only weird, it's also caused lots of divisions and quarrels in the day. It's the reason why Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons are not within the Christian Orthodox faith. It's also the reason why many church councils have argued over the past 2000 years. It's even according to folklore, the reason why St. Nicholas, now the St. Nicholas, punched somebody else in the face. Now you don't see that in Christmas cards. That, that's not part of our Christmas tradition. Now, it may not be completely historically accurate, but you get the sense of the importance of even jolly old Saint Nick punching somebody in the face. It's that big of a deal, okay? So if we get past the beauty, if we get past the weirdness, we're gonna start to see the beauty of what God is inviting us to participate in. And if we see it, if we know it, if we experience it, our lives will be changed forever. Because this is the picture Of God's divine nature that's existed in eternity past. And as we will see where that makes its home and it's very near to us. And today's topic is the Holy Spirit and specifically the Trinity. So if you don't know, we're in the middle of a series that we're calling Last Supper. This is Jesus's final words from death row. We're focusing on where Jesus shares his final meal in John's chapter 13 through 17, and what he shares with his closest disciples. I mean, this is his last opportunity to teach them things, to share things with them, for him to help them know what's most important before his crucifixion. So right before this, in the beginning of John 14, Jesus tells them that he's about to depart. He's about to go away. And you can imagine with his 11 closest disciples that there's now some tension in the room. What do you mean you're about to go away? Because these 11 men, they've experienced Jesus in the flesh the last three years. They've seen him eat. They've seen him walk, teach, heal, pray. They've seen every aspect of his life. And they're expecting Jesus to be this warrior hero that would overtake an empire and set up this new kingdom, this new nation with him as king over Israel. So if they're expecting him to go conquer Rome and he's saying, I'm going to depart from you, you can imagine how what he's saying is not meeting their expectations and they're confused. They're not sure what's about to happen. Now these guys they knew and they wanted his presence. And they want but what Jesus is saying here is he's saying what you're about to get is better than what you are experiencing now. And it's the presence of the Spirit in more intimate ways than we are they are even experiencing that Jesus is offering. Because what Jesus is saying is that the Spirit given to his disciples offers God's very presence. So let's look at verses 15 through 19 really quick. After Jesus tells him that he's about to leave, he said he's going to provide another, quote, helper. So I want to focus on this word helper for a second. Uh, this is, in the Greek, it's the term paraclete. Now, you, and if you look at different translations of the Bible, there's other words used for this. Sometimes it's counselor. Sometimes it's advocate. And sometimes, some translations use the term comforter. Now, when you see a word that says counselor and comforter in our day, it's very easy to think like in a psychological sense, as if like this spirit that's about to come is this therapist and the therapist is going to bring comfort and counsel to us. But if you look historically, this word is actually only used in legal documentation. So the understanding is more like a lawyer. Now, not the understanding of lawyer in our day, because that's like bad, right? Like lawyers get a bad rap. But this is somebody who's an advocate, somebody that goes to bat for you, somebody that's on your behalf working for your good. Another way to think about it, if you've ever been in the hospital or you know somebody that's been in the hospital, oftentimes you have somebody that's an advocate for them a family member that comes alongside. Because if you're on a hospital bed, you're probably not in your right mind. You're not able to heal. You don't have all the things figured out. And so to have somebody come alongside of you and fight for you, to advocate for you, to try to get the medical establishment to think through all the things on your behalf, that's what the Spirit does. Now, does that bring comfort? Yes, because imagine you're in the hospital bed and you're just trying to get better. And you know that somebody else is fighting for you. What does that give you? That's comfort. That you know that they're counseling, not your heart and your story, but they're going to bat for you. That's what's happening here. And what Jesus is saying is that is better than what they had. Now think about this. We often look at the Jesus' disciples and think they had it best. I mean, how many times have you talked to somebody about the gospel and if they said, you know what? If I was there, I would probably think this way. Like for us in the church, if you think of the disciples, like they had it best. They saw him. They they heard him speak. They walked with him. That they had it best. And we have kind of the second helping of what Jesus is saying here. But. That's actually not what's happening. Look what Jesus says later in John chapter 16, verse 7. He says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Because if I do not go away, the helper, the paraclete, the advocate, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So pause for a second. Jesus is talking to the people that walked every moment with him for three years. Seen him heal, teach, and what he says is it's good that I don't I'm not with you anymore. What? Like, how does that make any sense? We want to go back. But what if you really understand this passage, what it's saying is we have something better than what the disciples had in the very presence of Jesus in the flesh. How in the world does that make any sense? Because if you think of your day on Wednesday last week, you probably didn't think that Jesus was physically right next to you. Just throwing out a day. Maybe Wednesday was fantastic for you. But maybe not, right? You weren't like looking around and saying, oh, there's Jesus right there. But what Jesus is saying is, it's good that I am not physically with you. Why? Because we get the Spirit instead and everything that they experienced with Jesus in the flesh, they, the understanding of his presence, the work that he did. Jesus is coming and saying that very thing is now available to every single person that professes faith. It, the presence that they tangibly experienced is the presence that we, by God's grace, through God's spirit, every single one of us have moment-by-moment moment access to, but even better than they, what they experienced. It's like, man, I just want to be in the presence of Jesus. Do you realize that by the Spirit, you are in the presence of Jesus? He is available to us. The access that we have to, to know Him, to experience the presence of the Spirit in our lives. This is why I've been talking a lot about Building a level of anticipation and expectation when we gather. Like, why can I say, guys, when we come together, something magnificent can happen? Why is it like, do you have an expectation that God's going to show up when your DNA group meets? You're meeting with one or two other people. You're diving into the scriptures. You're having an understanding of what God's doing in your own heart. Are you going to that time and saying, man, God's going to do something awesome here? Or are you like me and you often go through the routine? They say, oh, I just, I'm, it's part of how I go about every week. Just going to get what I get. When your MC meets, whether it's for a Super Bowl party this afternoon or if it's a family meal during the week or it's just a few of you getting together for coffee, all the ways in which an MC life looks like, do you show up to it with an expectation that God is among you? That the very presence of Jesus by his spirit is with you? that he may actually want to use you to see somebody's life changed? Is there an expectation? Do you anticipate when we gather together on Sundays that God is going to actually say something to you? Do you come like, oh, I better be there because I'm not there, no one else is gonna be there. Do you come with like, oh, I just gotta do it. I just, it's just a thing that I'm supposed to do, I have to do it. Or are you coming with a sense of need? Like, God, I'm, I'm in need. I love how Brandon chose that song this morning. Like, Lord, I need you. Do you, have, do you know your need and come expecting God to meet you? And maybe not through the word or through musical worship. It may just be getting coffee with somebody and somebody coming alongside of you and praying for you. Or just encouraging you. Hey, I've, I saw you this week. I was thinking about you. Just to know somebody else. Whatever it may be. Like, do you come with that? Now, we say that because God's very presence is with us. He's here. Not just one another are here, but God himself is here. And I love what it says here is that he's not going to leave you as orphans, right? He's not he's going to be with us. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphan, I will come to you. So when you're feeling lonely wherever you are, the spirit is with you. When you're at work throughout the week, when if you're a student, you're in school, when you're going about playing, when you're lonely, that's the work of the spirit to be with us. But here's the question. Who is the spirit that Jesus offers us? Because it's, it's very common in our, um, in our circles to talk about the spirit. But if you're outside, this is one of those weird things, right? What do you mean the spirit? Like, what is that? And if we are going to rightly understand what I just said, we have to have a right understanding of what the, who the spirit actually is. Because there's a lot of misconceptions about the spirit. I was having a conversation with one of my kids and they said that they thought the spirit was kind of like Siri. And so it was like, like if you ever needed some wisdom or some guidance, like you don't know the answer to something You just go and say, hey, Siri. I hope your iPhone's in it just turn on, by the way. You just say, hey, Siri, or hey, Spirit. And then now all the wisdom and guidance is available to you. Like it's this source of knowledge. Now, there is some of that. I mean, the scripture does say he will bring to understanding everything that Jesus taught. But is that the fullness of it? Some people think that the Spirit is like the force. Any Star Wars fans here? Right? It's like there's this, quote, energy. That's kind of pulsing in everything and through everything. And then you just need to learn how to tap into the force. You need to empty yourself, which the force is based on Buddhist theology, which is a whole nother thing. But you just empty yourself so that you can tap into this force power. And in this world, the spirit is it. Not Pennywise it. Not Stephen King it. But it's just an it. It's the pronoun that's used. Right? It's this thing. It's this power. It's this energy. And it's usually only the super Christians that tap into that or have access to it. Because it's this it thing that you need to grow up and learn how to use. There's other misconceptions of the spirit. Oftentimes, people talk about the spirit like it's our intuition. Like you get this gut feeling, right? And you, you kind of know something that you didn't know before. And you don't know how you know it. Now, this is something, this intuition is available, I think, in God's common grace. But what I've heard people say is intuition is the spirit. And what I want to say is, no, 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 no. That's, there's a difference. The spirit can use our intuition, can use your gut feeling, can use your knowing of something and empower it. But it's not the same as our intuition. So if it's not the force, if it's not Siri, if it's our, not our gut, then what... and? Is the Spirit, And a better question is, who is the spirit? So I want you to put on your thinking caps for a second. Because what I want to do is I want to make sure we have a right understanding of the Trinity. This is one of those weird things. But I want us to rightly think about the Trinity. So let's dive into this. So the Trinity in one sentence. As if you can do that. Ready? This is the one sentence. There is one God. Who has eternally existed in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, who are fully and equally God. Okay, let me say that again. There is one God who has eternally existed in three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, who are fully and equally God. Now, I'm asking you to put on your logical brain for the second, while also knowing that you don't believe this without a little bit of faith. Understanding that this is beyond logic, but this is the, the teachings of the tradition and history of the church and of the scriptures. So let's dive into this. I want to make some of the statements and give you some scriptures. I'm just going to give them to you. If you want to take a picture of this, go for it. This is what the first one there is one God. This is Deuteronomy 6, chapter 5. It's also in Isaiah. Paul says in Romans 3, and of the uh, the church, uh, excuse me, his disciple Timothy. The Shema of Deuteronomy 6 says, hear, O Israel, the Lord is God. The Lord is one. The clear teaching of the Bible is there is one God. There are other lowercase g gods that we would call demons. They have power. They have significance, but they are not Almighty, powerful creator. That's one, there is one God. Number two, the Father is God. This one, I don't need to clarify for you. This one kind of makes sense. When you think of God, we tend to think of the Father. The, the one that's always in heaven, right? But secondly, the Son, Jesus, is God. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word Was God. I'm I'm going to tell you one story. And this is a great story to ask Jehovah's Witnesses if they ever knock at at the door. So I want to equip you in how I've had this conversation before. In John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to some religious leaders. And the religious leaders, um, they're obviously not seeing eye to eye. And Jesus says, man, before Abraham longed to see the day that you're experiencing now. Abraham longed for that. And the religious leaders rightly like, dude, you're like in your 30s. This is the modern Justin translation. They didn't say dude, but you know what I'm saying. Like you're in your 30s. What do you mean Abraham longed to see this day? That makes no sense. And Jesus goes on to say, before Abraham was, I am. And then look at what it says in verse 59. It says, so they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. What did Jesus say that caused them to want to pick up stones and murder him on the spot? Like he just said, I am. What's the big deal? Right. There's not a big there's nothing going on there. Well, you have to understand what the Old Testament for a moment. Exodus chapter three. This is the story of Moses in the burning bush. Moses is out 40 years. He's an 80-year-old guy shepherding things, probably sheep. Safe assumption, doesn't say, but it's sheep. He's out there, and what, what happens? He all of a sudden sees this bush that's burning but not being consumed, and it starts talking to him. And he says, hey, I've chosen you to go to Egypt and set my people free. And Moses is like, I, I have a stuttering problem. I, I, who am I? Like, there's nothing. And he eventually asked the, the burning bush, who should I say sent me? And the God in the bush says this. I am the I am. Okay. John chapter eight. What does he say? Ego, the Greek word is ago, a me. What does it say in this Greek translation of Hebrew? Of, excuse me. Exodus chapter three. What does God say? go Ego me. This is the word Yahweh. What Jesus is doing in John chapter 8. Is he's literally saying. You know why I can say Abraham longed for that? Yahweh. He is claiming to be the one who spoke in the burning bush to Moses. This word was so holy that the scribes. If they used it to write out, they would have to take that pen or that whatever they wrote with. They would take it out of camp. They would bury it. And then they would have to go and clean themselves because the word was so holy that to even write it required them to cleanse themselves. Like you don't just go throwing around Yahweh. And what Jesus does here, he says, before Abraham was Yahweh. It makes sense why they wanted to try to kill him, because he's claiming to be Yahweh. So, what is this? Jesus is God. In chapter 12 of John, one more story, uh, he's quoting Isaiah chapter six, and he says this amazing thing. He says, Isaiah said those things because he saw Jesus. What happens in Isaiah chapter six? Isaiah gets this vision of God on the throne, the train of his robe filling his temple, the angel shouting, holy, holy, holy. And what John says was Isaiah in that moment saw Jesus. Like mind-boggling. This is some 30-year-old guy walking the earth, and he's claiming to be God himself. We'll get into that in a second. So there's one God. The Father is God. The Son is God. Number four, the Holy Spirit is God. In Acts chapter five, remember, this is all understanding the Trinity to understand who the Spirit is that we've been given Um, there's two people Ananias and Sapphira they've sold some of their belongings and they were to bring it to the apostles to distribute it to the poor and needy but Ananias and Sapphira don't bring all of it they pocket some of it okay and then they bring it and they say they brought all of it and they get caught and this is what Peter said in Acts chapter 5. He says, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart? Listen, to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back yourself part of the proceeds of the land. And then he says this in verse 4. You have not lied to man, but to God. Do you see that? When what Peter is saying is by lying to the Spirit, you are lying to God himself. So not only is the Father God, not only is the Son God, the Spirit is God. Number five, the Father is eternal. Number six, the Son is eternal. And number seven, the Holy Spirit is eternal. What does that mean? The Father, Son, and Spirit were never created. There was never a moment where they were not, as one of the church councils says. okay, So, This is important because this is what Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses teach. They teach that Jesus at one point was created, that the Father is the eternal one, and that Jesus was the first created being. And what scripture teaches is actually no: the Father, Son, and Spirit is eternal. There's never been a moment where they've not existed in perfect unity and love relationship. And then the last few, the Father is not the Holy Spirit. Number nine, the Holy Spirit is not the Son. And number 10, the Son is not the Father. Which means, number 11, there are three distinct persons. Father, Son, and Spirit. Now, if you're sitting there, you're like, what? There's a lot here. Why am I diving into this? Because it's so important that we know who it is we worship and who it is that we've been given. We aren't receiving the force or Wikipedia in our heart. That's not the spirit. When we receive the spirit, we are receiving God himself. So visually, you can see uh, people have tried to understand the Trinity in lots of different ways. Visually, it could look like this. Here's one of them that there's God. Notice that the father, the son, the spirit is God but then they are also not one another. The Father is not the Son. That's one way to visually capture it. A second one uh, looks like this. Um, this one adds the words is in. So the Father is in the Son. The Son is in the Spirit. And we'll talk about that in a second. But also notice the glorifying. The Father glorifies the Son. The Spirit glorifies the Son. The Father also glorifies the Spirit. And the spirit gl- There's glory happening here. And there's one more picture that I want to show you. This is from the Orthodox Church. But you see the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are as one essence. This is the language of the Nicene Creed, that there is one, of one essence. And that essence, what does it say in 1 John 4? God is love. Love. So the Father, Son, Spirit always have perfect love within. There's a love, a lover, and a beloved Okay, that's all within the Godhead himself. So some false ways of understanding. Real quick, there's a, a little thing I want to show you that just gives you pictures of what that is. The first misunderstanding is called Unitarianism. May not. Okay, so think of three triangles. There's the Father, the Creator, the Son, a created being, and the Holy Spirit is being impersonal. A specific portion within this is called Arianism. This was birthed out of a guy named Arian, who St. Nicholas punched in the face. That's the story, okay? Um, He believed that Jesus was created. He's like, no, Jesus can't have one essence with the Father. He's created. This is, like I mentioned, with Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, what makes them distinct from Christianity. Why I would say that's a different Jesus that they talk about, because we talk about a Jesus who is eternal, God himself. They talk about another Jesus. Another way is called modalism. That's saying that there's one God, but he shows up in different ways. So, I, God is one, but he shows up in modes. It's like this. The, he shows up as... Uh, God in the Old Testament kind of judge. He shows up in the New Testament as a God of love. And then he shows up in the, excuse me, in, the, in his life. And he shows up in the church as the spirit. There's one God, but he shows up three different ways. That's not true. That's not three distinct people. That's one, but they're missing the distinction. And the last one's tritheism. Easy way to say this. There are three gods. The father is one God. The son is one God. The spirit is one God, but there's no oneness there. Those are all false believings. Why do I say all that? Whoo! That's a lot. Your brain, you got it. You, yeah, you're going to be able to say all that I just said. I'm sure. What? But I want us to dive deep into this because this is really important. If we don't understand God. This all, all I'm about to say makes n- nothing. This is what one Puritan, Thomas Goodwin, said. He says this: Our worship is sometimes with the Father, then with the Son, and then with the Holy Spirit. Sometimes the believer's heart is drawn out to consider the Father's love and choosing and then the love of the Son and redeeming and sometimes the love of the Holy Spirit that searches the deep things of God and reveals them to us. It's 1 Corinthians 2. We should never be satisfied in our worship until all three persons lie level in us and, and we sit there in the midst of them while they manifest their love to us. Hear that. This, we should not be satisfied with worship if all we do is worship Father and Son. We should never be satisfied unless we're sitting in the very presence, participating in the very nature of God. This week there was um, a Uh, News about uh, a Methodist church, uh, excuse me, seminary called Asbury Seminary in Kentucky. All of a sudden, as they're sitting there, they're just worshiping. And it's one of those moments that you read in history where the spirit just falls. And they don't, it's overwhelming them in many ways. And there's been 24-7 prayer and worship happening at that university for like 75 plus hours now. And I, I have friends and I have people that I follow that are there witnessing this. And they're like, there's something special happening in this moment. There's something, I would call that a renewal moment, where we've talked about all, that's where God shows up and makes his presence known. And it's experienced. Right now, what I've just done is I've helped your brain think about it. That's good, that's why I did it. But there's a difference between thinking rightly about it and experientially knowing it. Where you, like the disciples, body, soul, spirit, the wholeness of who you are, also knows, like he says, lies level in us. So, what does that mean for us? If they get that, is that an option for us? Because the, remember the 11 people that are sitting here, the disciples. They're, this is, they're not registering all this. And they say something. Jesus says something for the first time that's going to blow their minds. It's easy for us to read over. But listen, what does he say in verse 17? Verse 17 says this. You know him, talking of the spirit, for he dwells with you and he will be in you. So, what Jesus is saying is, when you get the Holy Spirit, He's going to dwell in you. For those of us that have been in the church a long time, that doesn't, that's like, yeah, of course that, that's how it is. But listen to what He says in verse 20. Verse 20, He says, In that day, which is after the resurrection, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me. But notice what He says there. But I in you. So do you see that first the Spirit is in us as disciples. Jesus, can you imagine sitting at a meal and somebody next to you says, you know, in a couple days, I'm gonna be in you. What? What What are you talking about? But if the Spirit's in us, And now Jesus is saying he's going to be in us. Then notice what happens in verse 23. He builds on that. Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And we, notice the we will come to him, those that love me, those that obey me, those that keep my commandments, we will come to them, him, and we will, the father and son Make our home in him. Last week, Brandon unpacked the word abide. Literally, it's abode. To make our home in. What Jesus is saying here is, the, the spirit makes his home in us. The son makes his home in us. And the father and the son make his, their home in us. So we aren't just Residents of one portion or one person of the Godhead. You and I are participants in the very nature of God. Peter, who's sitting very close to Jesus, says that very thing in Second uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 4, where he says we are participants in the divine nature. Think about that. The God Father, the father, son, spirit, love relationship, you and I are participants in what the father says of the son is now true of us because we are in Christ and Christ is in us. What, what the Father has said and sent the Spirit, he now does for us because we are participants in that. The way the Father loves the Son, the way the Spirit is sent by the Son and the Father, all that God has been from eternity past is now in you as the people of God. So if you think, why can Jesus say it's better? Because we have him at every moment of every day with us. We don't have to wake up and see him. We get the spirit of God to be with us. Like, I, this is pretty theologically heavy. And I understand that. But take off your logical hat and sec, for a second and receive something. Every moment of every day, you, have, you are a participant in. And you have access to the fullness that God is. God, why why are you doing something like that in Asbury? Well, Father, would you do something among us? Why can I say that? Because God is here. Why can I anticipate? Because God is here. The fullness of God. The Father, Son, Spirit. When I'm with my brothers and sisters in Christ, the priesthood of all believers, I'm looking at a portion of the the Godhead himself. The participant in the Godhead. Excuse me, Because God resides in you. Like, this should empower us. This should fill us, fuel us. This is not something that's like, oh, I've heard this before, Justin. Take off what you've heard before and let it rest in you for a second. God makes his home, Father, Son, Spirit in you. I just can't overcome this sinful thing. I'm just wrestling with this. I, I don't know what's going on. That's where the Spirit can come in and bring power to that. I don't have a desire to desire what God wants for me to do. Great. That's where the spirit comes in and steps into. Like, I want to, but I can't. Great. That's where the spirit is needed. We aren't just regular people anymore. We're not just sitting around. We're not some random group like they get at clubs down the streets. We're filled with the very presence of God himself, wherever we are. Does that make us special? No, it's because we're needy sinners in need of the grace of God to give this to us. So I don't come say, look at me, how awesome I am. I have God. What I say is I was so desperate and in need because of my sin, made me a rebel against God. But by his grace, he saved me and now given me his spirit. I mean, this is essential to everything we do. Last week, I encouraged you with the, like the idea of the Super Bowl and living on mission. And we talk about that a lot. And I, I understand that. and I, I'm, I, Because I believe it's so foundational to what it means to be the people of God. But why do I say this? And why, why do I think that all of you have the capability for this? I mean, I've talked with and spoke to other church leaders that think that what we do is kind of crazy because they think that only people like myself or like Brandon or church staff are the ones that are able to do ministry. And I'm like, that's rubbish. And I mean that in the fullest sense of the word. Why? Because I deeply believe the spirit of God indwells every single one of us. Not just a few of us. But all of us, every moment, we're not orphans. We're not alone. God, I don't desire. Would you give me a new desire? That's where the spirit comes in. God, I desire it, but I don't have the capability. That's where the spirit comes in. God, I just, I'm, I'm wrestling. I'm struggling. I'm, I feel immature. Whatever it is, that's where the spirit comes in and brings life To our mortal bodies. This is why Paul can say it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's why he says elsewhere Christ in you, the hope of glory. All that Jesus went to accomplish is not just that our sins can be forgiven, it's so that he can make his home in a new temple, in a new people that reveal his glory in all the world. And that's you. That's one another. That's us as the people of God. That's others who proclaim the name of Jesus in our city and beyond. So the question is, is where does this land in your heart? Do you receive it like Jesus offered it? He says, peace, verse 27, I leave with you. Do you receive it from a place of peace? That now I have, the, I have peace, I have the fruits of the Spirit, all that's available to me? Are you receiving it from a place of ought to? I mean, I ought to be like this. Or is something being offered and available to you right now that you haven't fully tapped into yet? Because, in my opinion, if I had to look at us as a family, that would be where I think we land. What I'm saying is true according to Scripture, but just because it's true doesn't mean it's experienced yet. He's here, right now, in our midst. The God who spoke. And everything happened. The God who ordered creation in Genesis 1 and 2. The one that spoke to Adam and said, where are you? What did you do? Who told you that, about the fruit? What, why? The one who was sitting on the throne in Isaiah chapter 6 where everybody's saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That person, Father, Son, and Spirit is alive in us. And my heart for us is not only to think rightly about this, which we need to do, but for us to be able to say, it is better that Jesus is not here because I know he's inside of me. To experience him, to know him as Adam and Eve knew each other. All intimacy is a picture of this type of knowing that the Godhead we can participate in. That's what's available to us. Kids, teens, I actually think the teens need it more because they're the ones that are more open than most of us sometimes. Because we have to unlearn some things. And to be able to come here and say, the Spirit is here. Not because any of us are special in and of ourselves, but because we're special. Because the spirit decides to make his home in us. Father, son, spirit.